Hey y'all, it's Monica heading out on a month of nonstop travel. I'm not sure I'll have the kind of travel log for this month as I had for last month, and how could I? But in case you missed that, don't know what I'm talking about, look in the deep dives feed for Monica's White Pill Summer. It was a very uplifting experience for me, and people loved the show that I did about that. And you can get that and all of my shows, including some bonus shows. You can get them all commercial-free in my Deep Dives with Monica Perez feed on your favorite podcasting platform. And please be patient for the next month or so if I don't have as many deep dives as I normally would. But I do always try to post something first thing in the morning every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I think I should be able to get that done. Maybe not with two deep dives a week, but definitely with a little help from my friends. And speaking of friends, today you're in for a fun and lively conversation as I embark on a buddy dive with Steve and Pasta on AM Wake Up. That's their weekday morning show, which they broadcast live on Rockfin. So I owe them a big thanks, not only for letting me share this show with you, but also for letting me crash their conversation with Ian Davis. If you've never heard Ian Davis, you are in for a treat. He tells it like it is about the pseudo pandemic and he does it with nothing but the facts. I'll be having him on as a dive master very soon, but in the meanwhile, enjoy the sampling of his vast knowledge and check out the incomparable AM Wake Up at the same time. Monica's here. We're going to go ahead and bring her in. Uh, uh, host of the Propaganda Report, Deep Dives with Monica Perez, uh, one, one of my fellow contributors on the Union of the Unwanted um, and, and just absolutely brilliant human being. How you doing? I'm doing great. Good morning. I love the morning shows because I'm raring to go. Heck yeah. This is what we're here for. This is what we're here for. And it's an afternoon show for Ian. So, oh, right. uh, he, you know, he can, he, I don't, I don't know if you pregame before you go out or whatever. It's <laughs> a good time for that too. Three o'clock for the, the English is a good time, I think, to catch people. I'm uh, super psyched to share movie. a screen with Ian and I have like, I don't know how much crosstalk time I have, but I have some questions and something about what you guys are just talking about. If you, if you let me just dive in. Let's let's come in hot. Let's do that. It's nice to meet you, right. Monica. It's so nice to meet you. I, I first uh, heard you on Delling Pod, so that was fun. Ah, yes. uh, that was a while back. So, okay, uh, here's the thing. I noticed that I felt like Africa was probably a target. It always is. And yet they had such a low rate of COVID, a low rate of vaccine penetration. And I've been trying to crack the code on that. Was that a mistake? Did they not care? The best I can come up with that it's like January 6th, which I think was created out of whole cloth completely, yet they will still use it as a narrative. They'll still use it to implement policies. How do you, do you think that that's how it's going to go in Africa as a target, even regardless of whether they had a high or low COVID or vaccination rate? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the World Health Organization, I think it was only a few months ago made made um, jabbing, um, you know, the Global South and made jabbing the Africans their priority mission. So they're, so they're, they're definitely, that's their intention. I mean, I think the reason that we didn't see so much, um, you know, supposed disease in Africa and supposed, um, you know, uh, and so many jabs and things in Africa, partly because of, you know, the obviously distribution and infrastructure problems that some some areas have, but not all. I mean, you know, South Africa, I think, had the highest rates of 
um, vaccination and the highest rates of disease um, in the on the African continent. Um, but even that was considerably lower than, than than we had in in the US or had in the UK. But I think it all comes down to the testing. It's the amount of testing they could do, because because what we call the pandemic was, I would suggest, was a case demic. Yeah. So it it was it was just about you know and what and, and and the only thing that constituted a case was whether or not you had a positive tests. The tests were non-diagnostic and couldn't tell you much really. So well, so, and were were wrong. Were, were wrong. Could be yeah. manipulated from the get go. The guy who created them tried to warn the public about them, died mysteriously. <laughs> and August then, 2019. <laughs> yeah. And then floodgates opened for PCR is the gold standard for COVID testing when it doesn't meet any of those criteria to have that title. Yeah. Yeah. So I think in a lot of places in Africa, what you actually saw in Africa is probably something closer to what the, the, the genuine disease uh was like and i and think what we had was just a case stemming do you think um still that the main purpose of all of this is you know obviously when they're creating the crisis it's really the solution that they're after the solution being this infrastructure build out basically open air prison and uh it seems like to me and then also something really interesting i heard you talking about at one point was like the central bank digital currency being the ultimate mechanism of control. And I thought your explanation of how it was distinguished from Bitcoin was really interesting. But I also wonder if Bitcoin, whether it is, you know, even if it is genuinely distinct and has all those good liberating qualities, was a way to soften people up to the idea of digital currency to confuse them. And if like, just like finance is such the control mechanism or the mechanism of power prior to this, it'll, it'll be even more so after and that that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that there's a panic set in, I think, uh, in 2008, 2009. And I think from that point onwards, we were on an inevitable course towards global transition of the international monetary and financial system. Cause, because I think at that point, you know, the central banks and the, the financial institutions, BlackRock and Vanguard and the rest of them had realized that, you know, the bubble had burst and they're not going to be able to maintain this forever. So there needs to be a transition. And I think we saw that really acutely at the uh, at Jackson Hole in 2019 at the G7 bankers meeting where they were just openly talking about moving to a multipolar world order with with a new global reserve currency. Yes, I so, must ask you about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they're just openly discussing that we need to do something to, to make that happen. Lo and behold, a few months later, we have a quote unquote global pandemic and the transition begins. I think CBDC, you know, going back to what you asked me about earlier and why I might have said that CBDC is the end game is because in it's it's like the... It's like in order for CBDC to be rolled out, because I think there's quite a bit of resistance to it. And we're already seeing it from some of the banks, you know, the commercial banks are, are not because it potentially it cuts them out of the month, out of the pie. So, you know, they're not necessarily so keen on it. But 
it if it gets to the point where CBDC is rolled out, there are so many things that need to happen first in order to get to that to get there. For example, global economic collapse. Because with, if you're looking at problems, reaction, solution, then I think CBDC will be the solution predicated upon global economic and financial collapse. I agree with that. And that's the only explanation I could find for a $30 trillion U.S. national debt, the most prosperous, productive society in human history cannot sustain itself, borrows from children who aren't even born yet. And uh, so I totally agree with that. But one puzzle I just can't seem to really conclude to my satisfaction is so Russia and China are are probably ahead of us on the CBDC thing, yet it looks like this multipolar world is emerging from a schism between East and West. It certainly looks like Putin is really uh, mad about Ukraine and is willing to take action to, I mean, he's obviously taking action that seems to be, although NATO provoked him. So I don't know where, where do you think the collusion comes in and then um, offset by maybe real competition at the top? I think we need to look at the global financial system and look at who is actually pulling the strings with the global financial system and look at the relationships between, I mean, for a, a very interesting thing, the Bank of International Settlement, when the, when the um, Ukraine shortly after the Ukraine quote unquote special military operation began, made a big, made some press releases about, or issued some press releases about ostracizing the Russian central bank, who I would add, um, you know, were culpable in, in robbing the country blind prior to sort of to 2010. Um, but if you look at the Bank of International Settlements, official announcements of what they've done in terms of ostracizing the Russian Central Bank, there aren't any. What what we've got instead are press releases and little tiny little addendums at the bottom of some of their documentation. There is no official announcement from the Bank of International Settlement. Then you've got, obviously, at the moment, you've still got, you know, Russia are enjoying a huge growth in trade with the rest of the world as a consequence of you know, supposedly the sanctions, which seem to be sanctions on us, really, rather than on Russia. Yeah. Um, they, 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 they're enjoying a lot of growth and they're doing a lot of business. Well, that means that there's a lot of currency exchange going on, which means that the Russian central bank is using the global banking system, which means that the Bank of International Settlement are enabling that, that transition, are enabling that business to go ahead. That reminds me of a book I read called Conjuring Hitler about London, per perhaps the city of London, trying to get the uh, most dysfunctional possible regime to to fill the void in Germany that would also allow the elite to kind of stay in power. And then that the uh, money flows during World War II never stopped. It didn't it, it, they didn't like truly isolate Germany from the money flow. And that's what I always thought like that. That's the tell. Yeah. And I mean, business continues. I mean, one of the, one of the, one of the unusual things I think that about the Ukraine conflict is that, you know, Ukraine itself is a transit hub for the Russian gas pipelines. One of the, one of the reasons that they 
built the Nord Stream 2 and the Nord Stream gas pipelines was to circumvent that bottleneck. So you would have thought, wouldn't you, that Ukraine would have been quite keen to shut them down. But there's no been no kind of moves to do that. You know, there's no there's no moves to to I mean, that is a pinch point globally for the distribution of Russian gas. But nothing's happened. Right. Um, the the one thing that I keep hearing about <clears throat> in terms of of upcoming political theater is that when the GOP sweeps and comes into power after the midterms, they're going to immediately start impeachment process against Joe Biden for uh, selling off U.S. coal and gas reserves to both Russia and China while the Ukraine thing was going on. This is going to be something that the GOP is going to try to push is like a, a direct violation of U.S. national security and interests and things like that. It was just what I, I've been hearing. Yeah. Um, and, and that uh, I, that, that is going to be used in the theater. But the, the point being, it did happen. There's a ton of, of overlap between Hunter Biden's chicanery in terms of business, Paul Pelosi Jr., little, uh, uh, you know, tag or fetch or plaid or whatever Romney son was on Burisma, um, uh, uh, Adam Schiff's business deal, all that kind of stuff. That's that's about to come out, but it, it just underscores the interconnectivity of these relationships between not the nation states themselves, but the people in positions of power. Absolutely. There was also John Kerry's son and oh, James Bulger right. III. Yeah, Mitt Romney had a little things going on. Like you said, Adam Schiff, that's another one. And it's, you know, this stuff has already been out there for so long and they're going to, re you know, bring the stuff back up. I just make make, it, make sure that we put, it's not Russia and China, it's China and Russia because you got to put China first because they're the big bad guy. Uh, out there, right? Ooh, whatever China. makes most sense semantically <laughs> to you in this moment. Namaste. <laughs> and by the way, uh, by the way, I just do want to digress really quickly because I was listening to you guys. Monica, welcome to the show. When you. you mentioned Africa, I just do want to point out it's very important because this battle is still going on in Africa. Ivermectin was used as a prophylactic heavily oh. over there billions and billions and billions of people and i'm talking out of billions of people according to the who less than 20 deaths safer than aspirin and they would use it with multivitamins and whatnot and they would use it for river blindness and all these other uh you know uh, viruses or diseases or infections out there so uh, that is a big reason why there wasn't an outbreak i think in africa this yeah. another one i i know somebody who lived in liberia and he said that on sundays they took a sunday pill because yeah. it was like a, a prophylactic against malaria and it was hydroxychloroquine. Yeah, they, they used that, those particular ivermectin hydroxychloroquine throughout uh, Africa for quite some time because it was cheap. It was off patent. You can make it generically. And, it you know, the guy won a Nobel Peace Prize for the, for the you know, for what, you know, for creating ivermectin. So uh, I, I think we need to continue that conversation because there's a big pushback for ivermectin right now. And I think a lot of people 
are kind of still going, well, what do I do now if I took both jabs and a booster or both jabs? Do I go to ivermectin? How do I cleanse my system? What's going on? Uh, there's going to be a lot of conversations of that moving forward, but there's still a pushback against ivermectin uh, where they censor people, demonetize people, take people down, don't let, you know, I mean, I was uh, taken down off Twitter my first time for putting pointing out the four principles of COVID. And, and number one was asymptomatic doesn't spread the virus. The second time I was taken down when I put up an ivermectin test. So, I mean, these are, this is the rhetoric in the narratives. They're still trying to suppress out there even today. So. I am curious, since everybody's quiet, I'm going to fill the the empty space over here. I was waiting for you to come on this uh, show, Monica. Uh, we can talk about this with Ian, because in Ian's three-part uh, story, I think there's a lot of talk from the point of when somebody contracts COVID to the treatments, to the virus, to the, the information uh, that's being suppressed out there, to the manipulation of data. What are your thoughts about because I still think we don't have enough conversations about where this son of a bitch came from. You know, Omicron was not a variant of the original Wuhan strain. And people don't talk about that. <clears throat> what are your thoughts, Monica, uh, about where this came from and what you think? I've been puzzling on this really hard. And uh, I was on Ryan Christian's show, which isn't out yet. So I know you didn't hear me talking about it. Moving Target, which will be out on Monday on Rockfin exclusively, I think. But I just finally settled into an idea of what I think is was the like a vector, the main delivery mechanism. What it was really about is that I noticed that um, like I got COVID twice, both times from people who were vaccinated. The first time I got it was from somebody who was newly vaccinated in January, 2021, which was like around when they were rolling out. I only heard Ian say on um, a Delling pod that he didn't at a certain point, he never knew like in 2020, never knew anybody who actually had COVID. And that was the same for me. And the only reason it was like popping up all over, like around November, 20. 20, I was like, oh, I guess this thing is real because now all of a sudden I know all these people have it. And in retrospect, I realized that that was 100% correlated with when they rolled out the vaccines. Similarly, I was like, well, kids are only kids don't, I don't know kids have ever had it in my knowledge. And then when they started rolling out the vaccines for kids then kids started to get it, um, the, it turned into like the Delta variant when the vaccines came and then the Omicron variant when people started getting boosters. So I was wondering what the mechanism was. Was it a lab leak? Was it gain of function? Was it sprayed on us through chemtrails? And that coupled with what I call the, the AstraZeneca water? could be the water, um, like polio. So the, but the AstraZeneca effect was something I had identified, which was that the four places where the AstraZeneca vaccine was created was like a study, the, the trials were in, there were five. It was the South Africa, Kenya, the UK, Brazil, and Japan. Japan's was paused. So, and then I think it was restarted, but I didn't look into that. It happened to be one-to-one -one correlation that when like Delta started emerging, there were four identified variants of interest at um, the World Health Organization, which very misleadingly, they started calling like alpha, beta, gamma stuff, even though they're all a beta coronavirus, which used to just be distinguished by like letters and numbers, but they wanted to make it scarier. But all four of those variants, each one of them, one was from the UK, one was from um, South Africa, one was from Kenya, and one was from Brazil. It was one-to-one -one correlation. So um, that where these things were emerging. So my conclusion is that the thing was created, definitely seems artificial to me, 
and that it was it's like 99% of the delivery mechanism is traced to injecting people with something that is this is a big gain of function that they've been working on a long time a contagious vaccine I'm no expert so I just I'm just trying to piece it together just from pattern observation but that's my working theory right now that's a deep dive for Monica right there. <laughs> thank you. Ian? I was thinking about it and that was it. Like, <laughs> Explain so many things. Thank you. Wow. That's, that's great for our audience out there. That's amazing. <laughs> Please. Yeah, no, but what I, does I, Ian think? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I've got no idea. I mean, I, I mean, but I think, you, you know, what you said there is as plausible an explanation as any. I mean, it's, I mean, the point is that, that we should be able to discuss this. You know that, that what you're making, what you're raising there, is a very good point. There is that correlation. So is that not worth? Is that not worth asking questions about? Just just as there is the just as there is a correlation between mortality and vaccine rollouts. Yeah, and, and it could be it could be a correlation. It could be that they chose those four places because they're so vulnerable or so. You know what I mean? It could be a correlation, but it takes studying. Exactly. But the but the point is that that, that 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 what do you think the chances are of that study ever being undertaken? It might be undertaken. But <laughs> we will never see it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. I mean, the, the the problem is we are swimming in a in a world of we are. It's it's true that we are swimming in a world of disinformation and misinformation. But it, it's coming from the the people that are supposed to be giving us, you know not tainted information straight information it's it's not i think you know if we can i recently wrote about you know the psychology alleged psychology behind so-called conspiracy theorists which is when you look at the game when you look at the science behind that it's rubbish it's it's doesn't it's meaningless stuff but the point is that it's the questioning the people that are questioning like yourself and you know are being shut down so whenever the questioning is shut down, well, then there's then someone's got something to hide, haven't they? Do you in your in that recent um, writing of yours, did you revisit Cass Sunstein's 2008 paper called Conspiracy Theory? Maybe you don't know about it because it's U.S. You know what I'm talking about? I swear to God, dude, there's somebody brought up Cass Sunstein earlier this week and it just, it flooded me with everything that that horrific demon is responsible for and has done and has levied to not just like this profession, but just people in general. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. He's, and then I have some horrific shit to pull up on screen too. And he was the real tell of how, like, I guess it was inevitable to have, if you're going to have a silver bullet, like, uh, you know, a black president like Obama, he, he, they had to put him or some other really persuasive, credible Democrat in, in 2008 to cover up nine 11. So Cass Sunstein wrote an article in 2008, which he later denied writing or denied memory of writing. It was 30 pages with a partner published in a, in academic journals. And then he later became ha ha Obama's information czar. And he wrote extensively about 
the psychology of conspiracy theorists and how they were resistant to actual, they, they were in a self-sealing box. So there was absolutely no reason to try to convince them with, uh, with debate or evidence that the only thing you can do, and there were five things that he said to do, three of them were cognitive infiltration, like hire fake people to infiltrate, put um, confusing or contradictory theories into the conspiracy space, or I think kind of co-op people who were in the conspiracy space. The two things that he rejected of his five recommendations, and I would say he actually, they, that they are done, was banning it and taxing it. And I was like, well, they do ban it by having now with COVID driven all public discourse into the digital space, which he identifies as a much easier space to control because people can't look you in the eye if you're fake. So they've, and then you have deplatforming. So to me, that's de facto banning. And oh, yeah. then the, the tax is demonetizing or canceling. There so are economic really did, sanctions on yes. independent media, 100%. Yes. So he had no so, explanation for why conspiracy theorists are these lunatics that he says they are. And the five things he recommended to surreptitiously do away with them because they are such a cancer, I think you might even use that word, are fully implemented. So, it, of course, it makes sense, therefore, that Cass Sunstein should head up the World Health Organization's tag team on, on fighting the infodemic. Yeah. You know, and his perfect. wife too, Samantha Power, is is still a talking head. Yep. And then to to kind of bring it back to where we were just a little bit ago, this is a document from 2020, the Global Health Security Report, put out by Johns Hopkins and Bloomberg and all the regular. Uh, <laughs> they. <laughs> that's they. <laughs> uh, on self-spreading vaccines, and they talk about uh, not just the inevitability, but the current reality uh, of these products, these medical products. Um, two main types of self-spreading vaccines, recombatant vector va uh, vaccines and live viral vaccines. Recombatant vector vaccines combine the elements of a pathogenic virus that uh, induce immunity uh, with a transmissible viral vector. Um, cytomegalovirus is one candidate vector for recombinant vaccines because it is highly species specific and moderately transmissible. Live viral vaccines are attenuated, meaning that the vaccine viruses are much less pathogenic than wild type and would be similar to the oral polio vaccine or the live attenuated influenza vaccine uh, in that those vaccines can sometimes transmit from person to person. Now, we've already seen in the UK, in New York, and a couple other places where vaccine-derived polio has tested in the wastewater that mm -hmm. um, vaccine-derived polio popped up right alongside monkeypox, right in, in, in the same couple of areas that I believe you were mentioning, Monica. Mm -hmm. um, and the this 2020 report speaks of self-spreading vaccines in the the current reality that they already exist they're just developing and scaling up the technology anyone so, yeah i mean i, I mean, yeah, I, I mean or are we all off to church now no i got it i, got, I have a response uh, we got here quicker than i thought you know uh, i would just say i think that they piece together a bunch of other um 
that I think that's evidence that this whole thing is that the actual disease itself is a kind of Frankenstein created artificial thing because it has like you were mentioning all these other elements that they want to bring out into the vaccine because that's what makes it more contagious. And I think that there are even, you can tell like um, what Dr. McCullough was saying that the only other thing that has this kind of long disease uh, profile is Lyme disease, which I think it's, there's even a congressional investigation that that thing was artificially created. And then there's the um, I noticed cause the second time I had, it was not too long ago and my husband's like, oh, that one, this one comes back. I was like, I thought I was sick like a month ago. Could it have been like COVID twice back to back? And he said, well, now they have a recurring one. Happens to all, and he and he said, there's also Paxlovid. Take some Paxlovid. I'm like, not taking any of that crap. And and then I read that Paxlovid allows a rebound effect. So I was like, okay, the uh, the that would account for why this is the strain that comes back. But I also had the thought, you know, what is the one kind of viral thing that does keep coming back? And the one kind of virus that I can't really get my mind around or so-called virus is herpes and all the things that are related to herpes. And it, oh, it has that kind of mono feel. And um, I, so I took uh, one thing that absolutely cures cold sores is lysine. So I took like mega dose on lysine immediately within one hour started feeling better. And then I Googled, I was like, does lysine cure COVID? And, and sure enough, there's evidence that it does. Nobody will ever tell you that, but it definitely. So I feel like the, the, the whole concept of the contagious vaccine, which God bless you, I've been, I saw documents of it from 2015 that they were already trying it is it actually had to start before in when they designed the disease itself. And I think it's evidence of that. We're here with Ian Davis and Monica Perez, Monica's Deep Dives. Go ahead, guys. Hit that like button. Hit the share button. We're just talking uh, about Ian's uh, three-part series and uh, everything related to COVID, it seems, right now. Yeah, I mean, they, they, in terms of, um, I don't know about self-spreading vaccines, so they, I mean, obviously looking to do it kind of biomechanically or biologically. But, I mean, let I know I keep going back to Bill Gates and Bill Gates is not I don't I don't think Bill Gates is a particular linchpin. But nonetheless, Bill Gates, Bill Gates invested in the development of vaccines that could be delivered by mosquitoes. Yeah. So I mean, I think it was some Jap some Japanese researchers that, that that received Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation funding that have actually done that. BioNTech, the company that are that are the partners of Pfizer. Their whole, you know, prior to getting into bed with Pfizer and, and working on, on the, the jabs, the massive part of their business was genetic engineering of, of living organisms to produce all kinds of toxins. And, and uh, you know, I think that one, one of the things was they, they, they were working on transforming insects, transforming insects. I think they called it... Um, cross-species modulation so transforming an insect to become something else so that it could perform a different task thinking that they could do this on a bio they could probably do this on a biomolecular level i mean i think that some of the things that are coming down the pipeline i mean people have got no idea i mean do you know have you heard about moats yeah so moats moats are um tiny kind of sub nanoparticle computer processing chips 
that can be injected through a, a standard standard syringe. So I don't think, per, that, that, you know, I'm not suggesting for any any moment that there is any evidence that there are actually computer chips in the in the vaccines. But nonetheless, people should be aware that it is entirely possible. It's entirely possible. And these these moats, they can be injected via a vaccine and they work like a kinetic watch. So kinetic kinetic activity charges them. Oh my god. They can self-assemble. <laughs> so the they're, they're nanobots. Right. Nanobots can self-assemble them into circuits. Wow. I mean, and that so Rolex was a self, you know, like they, they've had that technology for like a hundred years or whatever. Yeah. The yeah, self-winding. So they, <clears throat> but this yeah. is what this is what provides your um routine body diagnostic that's fed into whatever data center that determines whether or not a drone needs to drop you off a self-administering vaccine or a pill or anything like that. It determines this is what, what will allow when you go out for all of the other biometric surveillance equipment to determine whether or not you may be a walking biohazard or if you are <laughs> lying to someone in authority or uh it, you know, the things wow. like that. yeah so um the this is particularly insidious because they're going to to market it as well yeah this is how you know that you're you know you're doing what you need to do to be safe for your community this is how you're going to be a a good stakeholder in the global economy They'll do that, and they will also make something cool about it, like you'll lose five pounds easily, something like right. that, something very right. simple and small that'll get everybody to do it. But here's this is why this kind of thing really worries me more than anything else, which is that, and you can look back in human history and tyrants rise and fall, civilizations rise and fall, and um, all of that, and if you have any even... Um, open-mindedness to the idea of a soul or another dimension or an afterlife like you can find a lot of solace in just waiting them out or not allowing them to frame how you think about um life on earth but if i, I mean the first kind of i think like real game changer in you know historically like in history is this constant surveillance constant constant surveillance so like your fourth amendment right was there because it's absolutely critical that you have some privacy if you're going to mount a resistance and and we don't have that and that's big but what's but an emp could take that out whereas uh actually injecting or transforming the human genome at a fundamental level like they did with GMO crops where even people who want it, I was just reading this um, lengthy treatise by the Peruvian farmers from like 15 years ago, maybe saying, look, we don't want these, they're called terminator seeds. I'm sure you've heard about this old yep. stuff, but we don't want the GMO stuff. We don't want terminator seeds. We want our biodiversity depends on us being able to use the seeds over and over again. They work with our methods. We will be totally dependent on this outside thing. And we've seen how those seeds do infiltrate how I got COVID twice and it's totally artificial, but I didn't get the vaccine yet. I've been infiltrated by it. I mean, is this a deal breaker for humanity? And if so, how does, you know, does that mean there's no God? We have no souls anymore? I mean, just, I can't get my mind around the real implications of that, of these things that might really change us on the fundamental level. 
Well, there's there's certainly implications for patenting. Because if if you're you know if you're a genetically altered organism, you're patented. Yep. So that that means that that you know I mean literally ownership, uh, ownership of. I mean I think you know there are lots of people. Who, I don't I don't know whether you have it so much in the in the US, but there's a movement that some people follow in the UK called the Freeman movement. Which talks about. I'm sure you probably do have it in the US because you've got the same you've got the same um, common law system. So, um, you know, the idea the idea that we're, that we have these sesquivalent trusts when we're born, and that 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 you know, basically, that is a certificate creating a legal fiction, which mm-hmm. yes. uh, then then yeah. follow follows us through our lives. But when we are not the legal fiction, we're we are sovereign human beings, and then there's this legal fiction. No, that no, no, we, no. we have the it's called the sovereign citizen yeah right. so, sovereign citizen yeah yeah absolutely. the natural man i am the yeah. natural yeah. man but but i mean that you know the merits well, i mean that, used in a legal frame we're used in court it's the sovereign citizen yes, yes yes yeah yes. yeah so the, the looking at the merits of that aside think about it in terms of patent in terms of a patent are you going to have this parallel patent um control mechanism that then can be tied to, for example, you know, biological markers, which are owned by, for example, you know, BlackRock, who who then that that follows you through your life. That that is your other self that they are manipulating. There's actual the in the in the crops they do have that issue, which I always thought was outrageous <clears throat> that that the somebody who did not buy that seed did not want that seed. The seed contaminated their crops. And then they were sued by Monsanto for using their crops. And my, and of course they, they, I mean, they should have been the one to sue. And I think people have sued and saying, no, you contaminated me. And the fact that that I, I, my guess is that Monsanto wins that stuff. And I think they have, which is also like gives them credibility and, um, and a good argument, but it's a terrible, terrible precedent because for me, I would say, you know, they could even argue that if the vaccines were the culprit in making some kind of genetic alteration that could be patented, oh, you didn't read the fine prints on those vaccines. You voluntarily took that vaccine. Therefore, you are allowing, whereas I did not voluntarily take it, yet that stuff definitely got inside my body. I would argue, I would want to sue them for that. And I feel like the precedents were set in the crop stuff. However, so I don't have hope for that particular thing, but as far as like the sovereign citizen stuff and the the way your birth certificate is written, the way the constitution is written, I would say from as a legal foundational concept, if you have to have a meeting of the minds to have to be bound by a contract like that. So I am not bound by that contract because I reject that. And that was not the meeting of the minds for the constitution of the birth certificate or anything. But when it comes to like the vaccines and stuff, that it's the it's the the GMO crops that are setting the precedent, I think, and that's a, a dangerous. Absolutely, because the yeah, the, it takes really a nation state to step in to stop Monsanto from winning that court case. The the law itself, because of the way that it's been modified by the corporate state is definitely not on the side of the citizen in this case. So unless your entire country, like Russia did, steps in and says, no, 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 you don't understand. 
you're banned. You don't get to do business here. We've pulled that privilege from you entirely. They're going to come in and do that. And because there's proprietary U.S. case law or what the our presidential U.S. case law that states that they can, in fact, come in, infect you and then take over yeah. your land uh, as not just, um, you know, uh, something that's provided to them by law, but as something that has become an international business model that. uh yeah, it doesn't look well. It doesn't look, doesn't look fantastic for a proprietary product like a, a nanobot. I'd, I'd like to make a point about that, just a philosophical, political point about the idea that your nation state needs to be the one to stand up for you. As as a, a historic, or as like my philosophy has been uh, anarcho-capitalism because I believe society is self-ordering, um, you know, entrepreneurship and everything else total liberty will result in the most prosperity. <clears throat> I'm all for that. I have to, I cannot embrace the word. I hate to give it up, but the capitalism is now really just financial. You know, it's, it's a, it's so removed from gold is just a representation of value, uh, right. medium of exchange and all that, that I, it's just impossible for me to embrace the financial global financial capital system to and what that word implies. So I kind of veer towards the agorism, the voluntary society and gray markets and everything, again, philosophically. But I also recognize that that kind of thinking has been um, used as a trap. Agorism, I think they're trying to draw people out of the out of the fight who might really fight and and allow them to, you know, isolate themselves. But even the anarcho-capitalism thing in advocating for uh, like, you know, 7 billion sovereign citizens, which I'm all for, they can play into the hands of world government in that the nation state may be the only barrier we have. So the way I think of, well, I, you know, maybe I'm an ANCAP, but still locally, I'd rather have everything, you know, in the principle of subsidiarity be close to me. And okay, so it's a course of government, but I have some control over it. It could be that the principle of subsidiarity applies at the nation state level for stuff like this, where the lowest the lowest point of authority that can handle this problem is actually the nation state. And, and that um, it's in this country when they turn us against our congressmen or senators who are awful, they're corrupt, they're absolutely disgusting, they're undermining us at every turn. They've, they're actually gutting the only recourse we could have from the globalists that, that we're, we're so far from actually having sovereignty that we need to appeal to the strength of the nation state. I mean, it's, it's a hard thing for me to uh, accept. I don't like it. But it's well, the, really hard. I mean, but I, I the think nation state's true. authority is only backed by the fact that they have nuclear weapons. Because Monsanto is not going to respect the words on a business agreement if they can find a loophole. All of this, is, I, like I call all of this like the Bill Belichick method of, of doing business. Cheat until they change the rules. Yeah, make them make a rule. It's not cheating if they haven't made a specific rule to stop you. And then once they do find a rule they haven't made yet, you know, and go and like push that until someone steps in to enforce it. Um, I don't. So, but at the same token, the only way that Monsanto can claim any authority over your land or your seeds 
is by relying on the monopoly of violence that the state has because they've paid off the state. Mm -hmm. So in a situation where there is more individual sovereignty, the leverage that Monsanto has weaponized historically is eroded by the fact that they can't coerce the state to use their violence to do their bidding. Monsanto would have to raise a private army in order to enforce their Terminator seeds is what I'm getting at. <laughs> right. And they don't right. it's not territorial, so it would be very difficult to do for them. Right. Right. Yeah, I was very interested by what you said there, Monica, about the kind Me of too, man. I was a lot that you on. That the you know, the philosoph philosophical aspect of it, because I'm like you, I mean I'm I'm a voluntarist, I'm an agorist. I mean I I do see the point where people say, well, if you're trying, if your, you know, hope, hopeful ambition is to erode the nation state, isn't that exactly what the, the powers that shouldn't be want? My response to that is, yes, but it depends what you, what you envisage replacing it with. Do you, do you envisage replacing it with some other kind of control mechanism, some other kind of control? Because the, the point is that we're, from my perspective, this is the point I would make, is that we are in the situation we are in at the moment as a product of the nation state. It, it, it's Absolutely. The, it's the, it's yes. the na nation yes. state that has brought us to where we are now. Yes, now, yes. Now, the nation state exists and has a monopoly on violence and is able to coerce people, not, not because it, that authority is real. That authority is not real. It's only real because we believe it. We accept it. Yes. If we don't accept it, right. if we don't accept that that the concept of authority itself, if we reject that in principle, so I'm talking about obviously a, a completely new, different mindset, which would mean a totally different focus for education and the way we think about the world and everything. So you could call it, you know, a wishful thinking. But nonetheless, if we reject the concept of authority, then who can rule over you? Here's the problem, though. I'm. I got to so... say something too when you're when you're done about that. Well, well, let me just say this much real quick. Uh, it, it, that when you try to grasp that concept, here's the problem with that: is that the fact that people unfortunately want to be governed. You know what I'm saying? When when we were talking about a lot of people do. I mean, they just remember that meme: "Govern me harder, daddy." When when Monica was talking about when people were kind of voluntarily taking the vaccine is there really such thing i mean shaq said it best people were coerced right if yeah you don't and they don't have informed consent i mean there were people that were back flipping over the idea of like there like, were but they I'm didn't saying have as informed a, consent at all we right. did not have informed right. consent at all and that was the whole once again the censorship that plays into when you say censorship is violent this is what we're talking about but even though there were people back flipping over the vaccine there was a lot of people who were coerced if they didn't take it they lost their job. They can't travel. And people accepted that. So to me, that just shows the mindset of a lot of people. They want an authoritarian figure making decisions for them. And that's a concept we have to deal with if we want to move forward in a sort of anarchist kind of way where there are no rulers. And as a society, we, the people, just make rules. I think that that was always the fundamental question of an anarcho-capitalism. I think Robert Nozick was a famous like anarcho-capitalism who went back. He's like, I'm not an anarcho-capitalist anymore because people just want a ruler. There will always be a ruler in place. 
I'm, I'm not, the one thing I would say is maybe a different explanation that could be true instead is that people are really susceptible to propaganda and that everything that you're saying is a function of propaganda. Whereas what Ian's saying is if you had a different mindset, if you had a different educational process, you would be free. And that is probably the problem. And I would just say, as far as like uh, saying that the nation state may be the place where we have to operate right now is because these institutions exist. And because of the way the surveillance and injecting things and stuff is, is happening so fast, we, and I, I mean, I've always puked on this kind of an <laughs> attitude, but you know, we might not exactly have time to wait, to wake people up because what you'd have to do is take over the mechanisms of media. It's that whole cultural Marxism thing where that march through the institutions, they've got the institutions. What are we going to do right now to keep them from, um, modifying our genes, you know, I, and I'm not saying I'm in favor of it. I'm just saying like, th this is where we're operating now. Well, that's, I mean, that's what is the, the reality is creeping in for everyone on some level that this is a, a battle for what it means to be human, that, <clears throat> that humanity period it, is about to go through the same Webster's redefinition that uh pandemic and herd immunity and you know everything else has gone through over the last couple of years and there's people that whether or not they're personally religious have acknowledged that there's at least some sort of like outside component that is generically defined as spiritual that that is incorporated into this as well and whether you want to call it like a psychic assault or however you want to frame it, however you want to frame it. There are things happening at, at a subconscious or altered, con you know, exterior conscious level that, that are undeniable. And I will always stand on the advocation of ascension over revolution. I think revolution just brings you right back to where you start the kind of understanding that we need to have to create any sort of the the kind of civilizations that we aspire to require the type of thinking that doesn't go circular that doesn't stand on uh, provably wrong <laughs> or unworkable isms the 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 isms themselves have failed and what we need is, is you know to talk and heal and work some shit out and admit some stuff and then the goal being we get to decide what to do once we've broken the grip that these demonic central bankers have on us not that we have a perfect utopia waiting to step into because that's selling you some bullshit but that we have the opportunity to do this as humans as humans yeah it, the thing about that too as well is what i always constantly you know struggle with is the fact that you know and, and i i often talk about the forms of collectivism I've seen in the global South in Latin America when I go down there and, you know, you see uh, a repressive society, you know, that's being, has the boot of the American empire on their neck. And you often think that it's going to take a village, right? It's going to take an army to fight this back to eventually get these evil bankers out of our lives. But then that brings you back to that whole mentality. What's it going to take an altruistic kind of empire or authority 
to beat back that other, you know, authority. And I struggle with this all the time because I, I can't visually see how it's going to happen, how we step into that kind of mentality of like, hey, man, nobody has a monopoly on violence and we make these decisions. We go your way. I go my way. But how do we get there? And that's what I struggle with all the time, because at the end of the day, it leads me right back to another <laughs> another authoritarian figure that's moving a movement to fight this other evil empire. I don't want to step on Ian, but I have comments on both of what you guys were saying. If I can, I talk really fast, so I'm going to go for it. So what um, Ian was saying earlier about the, uh, what he made me think was about the central control can always be usurped. And actually, I think it was created for slavery and taxation. Like if you read, I read that great book Against the Grain and like the, uh, the grain itself is, it was an agricultural, maybe the agricultural revolution is the Garden of Eden, the fall of man in that, that the type of grain that was fostered was the kind that would all harvest at once. So there was surplus and it could be dried, which is how you tax stuff. And instead, if we had just done tubers, like you can't even, they won't even, the, the authorities wouldn't even know where the tubers were. They would last forever underground. So I feel like the whole idea of the state was meant for slavery and taxation. And if you have a seat of power, this is when I lost faith in the American experiment. At any point along the way, you could start with, you know, before the Civil War, the Civil War, World War One, all the all the turning points there, because we had that mechanism, the Constitution, worse even than the Articles, of, I think the Articles of Confederation were fine, but the Constitution, that was a place for the for the seat of power to be usurped, even if you thought that this piece of paper would ensure that the government would limit itself. You have that seat of power. And I really feel like that's why the Irish people were never conquered by the English for so long, because they just didn't have like central control, a single kingdom that could just be slid into. And I, and then by the same token, this idea of revolution, I, I observed that like the three revolutions, I probably am familiar with the American revolution, the French revolution, and the Russian revolution, each one of those within 10 years was usurped. So you got like the real problem, just like kind of the sixties counter culture. You, you identify a problem, you have racism, sexism, you have all these things, um, war, and you, you get everybody all pissed off and take out the people on top. And then they're waiting in the wings with their hands pretty clean. And, and they slide in like the Articles of Confederation replaced by the Constitution within 10 years, the Bolsheviks then... Um, or the Mensheviks by the Bolsheviks, I forget, but it was like 10 years where the by the end of 10 years, the Russian Revolution had been hijacked by somebody else. And the same thing with the French Revolution. There was like a little second French Revolution. And uh, so the people who actually were galvanized to take the reins, I think, were really manipulated by, you know, aspiring tyrants who who saw that they could take this place. And I, that's what I fear. And that's why I'm really not a, a proponent of like armed rebellion. I just don't think it would work. No, I mean, very interesting. I mean, so like if you example, if you look at the, the French Revolution and you think about the particular connections potentially of the Illuminati or, or you know, groups like Le Circle and groups like that that were that had their seed in the in the um, French Revolution. And then you, if you look at the, the Russian Revolution that was manipulated by arguably by Wall Street and by Absolutely. the. By the you know, I mean, it, Warburgs, it, it, I think, right? The, the Warburgs and people like um, um, oh, who wrote the book, The New World Order, H.G. Wells, and people like that that were working for the Fabian Society that were 
going backwards and forwards to Russia during the middle of the um, right. Russian Revolution. Train with, with yeah. train, just, just, no, just going yeah, backwards proof. and forwards. Yeah, right. So, so I mean, you know, this, these things have always been manipulated. But we can go, I think, I personally blame it on the Sumerians. <laughs> yes, for their grain. <laughs> yeah, for their for their grain, but also well, for I, the idea of elect the idea of allowing a king to to rule over them. There's, I mean, why? A, there's a book that I always bring up that I I'm almost convinced that I imagined, or a series by a guy named Daniel Quinn, and it's uh, Ishmael and the story of B. And then I think Call Me Ishmael is the third. I book. have that on my nightstand. I haven't cracked it yet. I guess I'll have to. People have recommended Holy it fuck. to me. Holy fuck, it's real. Really? Okay. So look, the theory behind this is the locking up of the food is what started all of the bullshit with humanity in the first place. That the the moment that you oh. took that you incorporated uh well incorporated large-scale agriculture and full of man i'm telling you like the time actually works it's the agricultural revolution and then had a place to lock up the food and then had a way to charge people for the the luxury of eating yeah because there were four thousand years where man had the capacity the understanding of how to domesticate (laughs) animals and domesticate plants and stuff and they they used it in corporation with the seasons and the migratory patterns they would you know have a little a little pen a little corral and some of the animals would go into that corral but they didn't have to like take care of them and feed them and uh i mean some would argue that you could you can only have a very limited population under those circumstances, but I'm not sure about that. There are plenty of people doing permaculture right now, but here again, they're going to weaponize that concept because by drawing people off, it's just, I always th- thought like the vax thing would be like uh, the draft, like they would just neutralize the most rebellious people by not allowing them to participate, not letting them vote or whatever, having uh-huh. to go to Canada by drawing like the homesteaders away. That's why I always try to tell people that's awesome. You must, you must absolutely exercise true autonomy, which would include uh, being able to, you know, have a chicken or, you know, have a potato in the ground, something like that. But, mm. um, but you have to be careful because if you, if you isolate yourself from the world, the, the world is going to, you know, may crash in and like shoot holes in your rain barrel. And then where will you be? So you just have to pay attention to the, I think, and I'm interested, please tell me that it, I hate that crap. So I don't want to go to any town hall meetings and I don't, but what, what will stop them from changing the gun laws and wacoing you or right, just right, going right. in? No, and, that's and, that's mm-hmm. something that pasta brings up all the time. So here's what is vital and here's what is being done. It, in the, the light of that reality. Um, and tomorrow we're going to have on Texas Slim, who uh, has been uh, featured on No Agenda several times, who's uh, doing a project called the Texas Beef Initiative. They're having a giant conference in Georgia next month where it's uh, ranchers who are trying to incorporate both a counter economic model and uh, self-owned processing facilities and trade networks. And these are the things that are going to at least for a while 
you know, until there is just the, a a wholesale, if it even would come to that, uh, a moment where the U.S. military would decide to go scorched earth on its own citizens again, uh, you know, um, which I mean, th- less than 300 years in the country and we've, you know, invaded ourselves and beat the shit out of ourselves several times. <laughs> Uh, you know, we're not we don't have a fantastic track record right. of leaving us alone for and by the people. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, there there are things there are things that, you know, are being talked about to try to uh, at least um, create a situation to win. When if shit really hits the fan, these things are already in place to help ease the the immediate burden. Uh, we've had uh, uh, Jim Gale from Food Forest Abundance on. Yes. We're going to be having him on again because it's not just necessarily the permaculture thing, but it's the concept of food forests that, and reclamation of nature by use of using it to produce what allows you as a species to continue and thrive that, that can be done just about anywhere that needs to be incorporated alongside these conversations. The people who are just grumpy and don't want to interact with society, but still live in a major city have successfully been facilitating mutual aid networks. They may, they may not think politically or ideologically like we do necessarily, but they have seen firsthand the violence of the state and they have been coordinating without any sort of aid from the state in order to help feed each other and take care of each other and promote each other. So there's significant overlap in in terms of that for where people can do this both in rural areas and in large urban areas. I mean, I I, I think what what we often are faced with in terms of when, and certainly when we talk about individual sovereignty, so we talk about individual sovereignty as if that makes you separate, but but it's not individual sovereignty is being able to commit voluntarily to whatever collective collective endeavor you you support mm-hmm. because and, and and you can do that because you are doing it of your own free will you're not coerced into doing it so that's the point of individual sovereignty it's not it's not about living in an isolated bubble it is the opposite in fact it is about taking responsibility as an individual for everything everything so you're no longer you're no longer turning to the to, to some other organization to 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 grow your food for you to organize the, the to keep the streets clean to to you know to make sure that there's a road going to people that need one you you are you have to take responsibility and so it does come down to the individual which is a change of mindset entirely but then if we all equally assume mutual responsibility for everything and then act together collectively because we freely commit to doing it we can do anything i mean we we already as a as a species have achieved amazing things without anybody telling us what to do Nobody, I mean, 90% of what we do now, nobody tells us what to do. We do it because we, because we, because it's in our self-interest perhaps, but we do it because we freely commit to it. And anything that you freely commit to, you're going to be more likely to, 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 to make, to want to it succeed. So I think that's, 
that's where we get confused about individual sovereignty. It's not isolation. It's cooperation. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. The, the problem was, is that when, you know, when we talked about freedom, a lot of people in New York said they had a right to get a 64 ounce soda. It was their freedom in New York when it was taken away from well, them. Well, they found six idiots and put them on the news all day after day. I mean, look, Sarah know, Palin I came did. walking on with a big soda, the thing, when she spoke at one point. That I always was, thought that was an ass part game. I thought it was Nutri that was a, an act by NutraSweet to get people to do that. But can I respond? Do I have a minute to respond to that? You wrap Absolutely. it up? Okay. Go ahead. Oh. So I think what you're speaking to, Ian, is that, uh, or I should say what I'm getting from that is that we should have the confidence in our competence to do these things and also like uh, distinguish between individuality and, you know, uh, isolation. But I feel like what what has undermined both our competence and our confidence in that is, and I feel like this is the most insidious thing, and it had to have I, I feel like it had to have been um, anticipated and planned, is the worst thing they could have done, and they did it, was separate individuals from consequences. So wow. if you don't actually see the consequences of your action, and you can see that this is what's happening, that, that's what that's what Satanism, like this do what thou wilt, and that's what I think, like all of TikTok, everything that's happening, <laughs> and whether there is a Satan or not, sa Satanism is that like do what thou wilt. And the, the reason people can get away with that are these safety nets, this lack of responsibility, like, oh, I gave up because I have a mental health issue or whatever. It's like, if you have true consequences, you learn so fast and you, and you um, rise above yourself, like you immediately get that feedback mechanism and can really attain that true nobility of man, that true, like, what's so great about how what really separates us from the animals. But they, it's a, it quite a powerful psychological um, attack, I think. Yeah. Also, combined with the uh, the other end of the spectrum, you talked about, you know, people don't have to pay a price for, you know, the consequences for the things they do. Also, the the instant form of gratification that is given to people every day is another problem. I said this before. I'll say it again. Participation trophies fuck everything up. <laughs> yes. <that's, laughs> put it in a nutshell. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know what we're doing when we teach kids. The, the I mean, I've always I've always thought I've been very uncomfortable. I mean, even when I was a kid, I was I, I was very uncomfortable with the idea that everyone's a winner. Well, no, that's not true. Not everyone's a winner. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm rubbish at running. I'm not bad at rugby. You know, right? It's so, the parable of the so, You so can do anything you want when you grow up. No, there's no. My, you can't. I was on the Down syndrome. Dude, a basketball has it's, disproven this. Yeah, they yeah. tell my son yeah. with Down syndrome that stuff. And he's just like, I want to be Justin Bieber. I'm like, you can't do everything you want. Like, stop. Like, focus on something you can. But it's the parable of the talents. And um, and a, a, a counselor once told me that kids get confidence by overcoming challenges, not by getting hugs. Yes. And it's, yeah. and it's been true. Yes. yes. Definitely. Put that on a poster, somebody, so we can. <laughs> it was a little, you know, a little cat on it. Say it again. Kids get what? Kids get gain confidence by overcoming challenges, not by getting hugs. All right, let me mark that time. Now, so I can mark that down. <laughs> Thank you over there. That's, that's, what a, that's a 16 year old kid. There that hit the is. button on that. The Al Pacino <laughs> for you, baby. Me too. I've got that. Thank God. Gonna miss the hell out of. He's got to go back. I to am too. High school. You too, Waylon. Even though you're sleeping over there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good that he's sleeping. It's good. Let I leave it be. Sorry. Let him sleep. 
Uh, it's it's by the way it's 856 ian i don't know how much time you have over there maybe it's it's past fish and chip time for you over there and wow and whatnot (laughs) dude i will make fun of the brits for their food because it's a cup of of rosy lee what's that (laughs) and a cup of rosy lee (laughs) what's rosy lee yeah rhyming rhyming slang tea oh shoot sorry i'm so dumb apple and pears yeah, no, I, I got it. Stairs, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Rubble, <laughs> Barney, got it. Yeah, no. Yeah, do you have any? Thing. How much more time do you have with us? You've been with us no, for two hours. I yeah, no, I'm gonna have to go in a minute. Well, it was let, so let, fun. Let, I'm so oh, so great yeah. meeting you. Oh, likewise, yeah, it's very nice to meet you, and it's brilliant to be back, guys. Enjoyed it very much. It, please tell people where they can find you, what you got going on. I mean, obviously, we were talking about today the three part series where they can find that. Uh, and then I guess with the four-part series, you'll be talking about the creation of COVID. I don't know. What's next? Tell us. Because <laughs> that's the only uh, thing you missed in this these three-part series. Th- this is some of the best uh, uh, pieces I've seen out there on COVID. You break it all down. You give all the links to all the tests. All the receipts are there. So please go ahead and plug it. Oh, no. Thank you very much. Yeah. I mean, uh, my, my work, I, I write at iandavis.com, and it's Ian with, an, with another I. So it's I-A-I-N davis.com. Um, and I also, uh, I, a lot of my work is uh, picked up by the Off Guardian. Uh, and uh, also, uh, I'm very fortunate that um, I sometimes get to contribute and I write for UK Column. Um, and um, yeah, so so check out my work there. Um, I've got, pr- just to say to anybody that does go to my site, that I've got horrendous email problems at the moment. So there's, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure all that out at the moment, but um, so my some of my forms to because I give away my book, uh, my last book, Pseudo Pandemic, is free to subscribers. Um, but unfortunately, that's not working at the moment. But I'm working to fix it. Yeah. But yeah, but thanks very much for coming here. It's lovely to meet you, and um, yeah, really enjoyed it. Brilliant. And, and I'd love a signed copy of that book if you got time. Really, I would. I want. I give my my mother books nowadays, and. Uh, when they're signed, she makes them, puts them to the front of the line, and I just think it's an awesome work. <laughs> That's how yeah, you do well, it. That's but, how you get her to read. That's mom. She, I got it signed for you. Mom, you I got it signed for you. I met this person. Okay. He's an amazing human being. Read this. Or I said, Mom, I met this person, like the the Project Veritas guy. This guy's a nut job. Read it when you want. He signed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's either he's a genius or he's a nut job. So and you know he's touched the actual thing. So if there's any cosmic energy, it's right. Absolutely. In there. Now, it, it just makes it more special. Well, get, give us your details afterwards, and then uh, I'll so- sign one and send it over for you. Absolutely. Put, make sure you title it to mom, M-U-M. We love you, Ian. Okay, mate. Peace. Take it easy, guys. You got it. See you, man. Ian Davis, everybody. Monica, I don't know how much time you have. We're about the, the top of the hour. I didn't know. I don't know if you could stick around. No, for I do. Hour. It's actually, I still have kids home from school, so I was a little distracted at one point because things were going nuts around me, and uh, so I do have to hop, although that was a great way to start the day. I just love it. Raring to go. It's much better for for what I drink before the show to be coffee uh, rather than gimlets, so (laughs) you've got my sweet spot here. (laughs) Monica's not drinking gimlets anymore. Why? Because she kept on going on AM Wake Up. <laughs> yeah, actually, highly would caffeinated be, would be better. I had to, I had to lighten up on the gimlets anyway because I'm trying to lose the COVID nineteen uh, that I gained during lockdown. But um, vodka, 
Yeah. No, it's gin. Gin. I can't. Gin gimlets. Woo. Like for algae. <laughs> you do you do onions or just lime or just... um I, the Gibson is the onions, which I don't do, yes. but maybe I could. I look believe it or not, I went back from I used to make gimlets with uh simple syrup and fresh lime juice, and I'm really yeah. old school now. Now I make it with roses, with roses, lime juice, and it's great. I talk about for Ooh. alcoholics, it's fantastic because. I'm not even sure you have to keep it in the fridge. And if you do, it can last for six months. Right? Oh, I was going so to the store bad. for a I like the first no. way better. Fresh no. lime juice. No, I'm simple. telling you. Ooh. I know, but I'll tell you, there's an exact recipe. It's two ounces of gin. It has to be a really good gin. A half an ounce of roses, which is very low-cal, and a quarter ounce of, which is just a bar spoon, of simple syrup. Mm-hmm. And... uh Man, if it's cold enough, and it's maybe it's maybe it's the junkie falling in love with the needle thing, yeah, because that shit, you're just like, as soon as you touch it in your hand, like you already start getting like the endorphins, and you're just like, oh, yeah, <laughs> but I can't do that. By the way, I'm too busy. What do you make your own simple? Absolutely, I make everything, I'll make hibiscus, little syrup. ginger. You put a little make, ginger in it. Yeah, I can. I haven't made ginger, but I, I absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I might. I might have made ginger. For I put it, a little I ginger in my simple syrup, and it just works yeah. perfectly. By you the can way. do. I make it from um, lavender flowers from my backyard. Ooh, that's nice I do. Yeah, the hibiscus is the best. Put it in the margarita instead of agave or whatever, and it turns it pink, and people think that you went bananas. But it's just. I have a. I have a cocktail blog. It's, nice. Um, MonicaMixes.com. And it's really not necessarily for public dissemination. It's more for like the recipes I need when I'm visiting my sisters. And I'm just like, oh, pull up the gimlet, you know? But, uh, and I make a keto gin and tonic that has zero added calories and is all natural. That was my approach. That was my literal tonic for when I had COVID yeah. the first time. Have you, have you made your own gin? Holy cannoli. No, it's really I not haven't. that hard. You got to get just get some grain alcohol and you some need vodka to go and, into the forest. Yeah. And forage. Oh, yes. Exactly. Yes. There's all these things you can throw into. What, what gin you do you normally drink? Pluck every uh, 37th rose hip. Okay. 37th. Rose hips. Yeah. I could definitely see that. I, I am really an aficionado of oh, okay. fine gins. But you don't, okay. Steve doesn't drink at all. But I, my husband, he goes to business on business to London and he brings me back literally suitcases full of sacred gin. And you can go to sacred and make your own flavors. They have a lot of flavors. Um, it's so delicious. I like, uh, if you want like a really high end gin that makes everything come to life, Kenobi, which is a Japanese gin, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. St. George's makes two different ones, the mm-hmm. uh, Botanique and Terroir, like depending on which way you're going. And, but my real go-to for something that if you don't want to taste the gin is Plymouth. Uh-huh. Plymouth gin. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. yeah so I'll yeah. go with Plymouth, but I also do things with a Tom, a old Tom gin. Like I'll make, um, like a Tom and Jerry is a gin sour made with old Tom. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Really, I, I know it's nine that, o'clock in the morning, but I know, start, I know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't drink it often, but when I do, I will with you and stuff. So I that. used to, to work for a place that it was like, it was super weird. They wanted to be everything all at once. So it was like a famous breakfast joint, but there was also, it was also open till like 11 o'clock at night and it had a bar and all this kind of stuff. And then Saturdays and Sundays were their massive brunch days. So they were, we were pushing like brunch cocktails along the side of this. They had a, a dream. It was a tea house too. I had like over 80 loose leaf teas. Jesus. Um, that you yeah. had to know and memorize. That's a great, and 
alternative to alcohol like that's the thing i'm like you don't actually i like the variety of something to drink so when i don't drink i do i'll go into the teas so they made this this uh well we would make this like hibiscus tea cooler thing that was basically just hibiscus tea and simple syrup but when you put it with booze it just lit the whole room up oh i call that a speedball sure <laughs> sure anything that has caffeine and alcohol in it because i like uh, to make sure everyone understands that alcohol is a drug don't tell me you can't you know you're just doing drugs caffeine is the drug that starts you off that's why you need the alcohol later so i'm not really an advocate of it and i should have been turned off by it completely because when i was young like 16 or 17 i left home i dropped out of high school it's a very long story but i ended up in denver colorado and i worked at a bar that was such a dive it was on colfax that at 6.15 in Wait, the, or 6.45, what bar? It was called the Sportsman's Lounge, but it's long gone. Okay. It was across from the Denver Post. And mm -hmm. I mean, literally, I was 17. I and exactly. the bums would line up and the doors would be open because I'd be putting the zhizhi because it was owned by Greek guys in the, in the little cups at six in the morning. I used to smoke. They used to make 25 packs of Marlboro Reds. Mm -hmm. And I used to smoke. start smoking at six in the morning. And uh, the the bums would come in and line the bar and they'd ask me like to turn the time up. And that's why I think bar time is 10 minutes fast because I would let them start drinking. And I was so innocent. They would beg me for drinks and I would say, Hey, I will buy you a drink out of my money and my wallet. Like I would show them, I would like take the wallet and put it in the, in the till. And then I'd make them pay me back before I would do it again. So like the next time they came, they would pay me back. And the, the boss saw me take the money and put it in my pocket one time. He's like, you fucking thief, you know, whatever. And I was like, what? Thief? Like, I, I don't, I, I bought that guy a drink. It was very complicated, but I was just too young to be in that. You would think it would have turned me off to drinking forever. And I will say I've never shown up at a bar at 645 asking them to turn the thing up. So well, I feel like one of our person in our chat's <laughs> been to the sportsman's lounge before. I'm really? I, I guarantee, I've been there I before. guarantee there's been, yeah. I've, <laughs> oh yeah. My, my dive bar experience was more in Boulder than oh, in that's Denver, nice, yeah. although, or Arvada. Um, I have at the Morrison hotel. I still have a scar from playing chicken with some Indian dude like okay. American Indian dude, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you put the cigarettes yeah. like this and you lay it between your two arms, yep. whoever pulls away, like I, so when you see the scar, it looks like it's a cigarette burn. I'm like, it's actually the cigarette burning this way. And uh, what else did I do? Oh, there was the satire, the Socrates that, um, but the sportsman's had, they used to call it a flauta, but it was just a big stuffed burrito with everything in it. And then it was smothered with green chili stew. And then you would okay. burn the cheese on top. I make, I make that green chili stew, and boy, is it great. I'll make my own smothered burritos. There is fantastic I'm bar great. food in Denver. There really is. Oh, that Denver Max, man. It's just, it'll make you, it's better than a gimlet, in my opinion. Like, it'll bring tears to your eyes, that stuff. I just, yeah, oh we got a couple gosh. of nicknames in Give the chat little, for you, by the way. A little red beer uh -oh. with, your, Yikes. with your Denver Max meal. We got what? Monica, the mixologist. Okay. Love Miss it. Miss Mix a lot. Nice! Oh my gosh, I love that. that so they're has coming with a, them. They're coming hard. Today. Everybody loves it. <laughs> so. That has such a um, the mix a lot has a little retro thing, like a medieval thing. I just finished watching The Last Kingdom, and I just am so like I just want to buy like a chainmail sweater. <laughs> my husband's like, that's very heavy. I like, can get me one for Christmas. Up. He's like, I, 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 I know good chainmail people. I used to do Renaissance festivals. Like really? He's got a guy. Yeah, he's got. You a, got yeah. a guy. I, I need chainmail. I, I feel I know, like I got a friend in Arizona named Shannon who's like ridiculous. Yeah. I, I need some, but it has to be cute. Maybe it'll be like a little mini skirt. 
Dude, she like she's like a she's like a a troll doll, but like like punk rock kind then of. She'll and she'll get it. She's got, got a huge 19, boobs. She's Tell got a nineteen sixty four Gibson Les Paul sunburst that turns into a phoenix that turns into a naked chick holding the phoenix that turns into the tree of life going down her leg. Like she's a I creative individual. She made Frankenbass. I don't know. Uh, and that? then she. Uh, it's a, a a particular bass guitar. She also made a guitar because she or a, a an upright bass because she's a freaking midget that you can it has its own like acoustically correct step stool. I was gonna say she has to wrap her legs the around the indentation. <laughs> it's got it's got two little steps on it. Well, I trust yeah. her. I will I'll, I'll ask her to I'll, design I'll and commission up. me I will. something cute for, yeah, for yeah. a yeah. We'll, we'll get it. We, we hit up. It's a gal. Yeah, you I'll, got a gal. I'll hook you guys so, up. Yeah. I, I, I'm on a Seattle speedball right now, and that's like coffee and marijuana. So that's. Oh, uh, I, I see. Told that. Yeah. I got a nice, you know, bong rip and nice well, red eyed coffee. I'll tell you, CBD helped me like transition from having wine at night to ah. just eat a CBD gummy. That helps. I can't. If I'm high, I got I got kids to deal with. I cannot. I cannot. I and couldn't I've got be able a- to deal with them unless I was hot. <laughs> I was going to say, what are you talking about, Monica? <laughs> Sorry. I, I have one, one with Down syndrome, kids. and he really keeps me running. Oh, my gosh. I really. But you're right. I actually probably would have made a men improvement in my life. Anyway, I do have to go run after him right now because my husband went to work. Um, but it was so fun. I feel exhilarated do this again we're, we're here five days a week uh actually and yeah if you got time and your shows some, some shit to talk oh, or whatever sure. just hit me mm-hmm. up we'll throw you a link you can pop in yeah like, absolutely i would love to yeah sure. so i um because of like things that are crazy in my life i used to have a show basically every day really every day but now i do deep dives so i'll just take two big stories and i'll even take requests on like trying to crack the code out of a headline of that day and i do it on deep dives with monica perez and i also have stuff like this i would love to post this as a buddy dive where we just uh, dish with other like-minded podcasters and i do some interviews like you guys do so that's uh deep dives with monica perez or you can go to my website monica's deep dives i'm also on rockfin rockfin.com slash propaganda report where my former partner binkley and i both put all of our stuff and um i guess you can always talk to me on twitter at monica perez show yeah yeah and we'll see you again soon awesome thank you monica thank you monica perez everybody (laughs) That's <laughs> all.